0: celebration of the resurrection are all found in Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's word. <clears> the <throat> first being Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. These are all passages in which we see the work of God bringing about change in the hearts of the lives of those who touched or who experienced a a relationship with Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Turn to Luke 23. Reading 1st. Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And then continuing more about those two other men and their relation with Jesus in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. The third passage in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. (coughs) Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. <clears throat> Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Your Lord, we pray that these, your words, would have a powerful effect upon our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would apply them with power, that we might become people of grace, people who hear your word and understand it, and understanding it, respond to it in the way in which you desire for us to respond. We pray that we would humble ourselves before you as these three people humbled themselves before you. That we would not make ourselves proud, that we would not harden our hearts. And I ask that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, because it is your word alone that is holy and just and true, having the power through the working of your Holy Spirit to change human hearts, even as we see in these examples today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> these are all three very powerful examples. The power that Christ had and continues to have throughout history to change human hearts and human lives. Look at any one of these situations. <clears throat> you find a situation that is not likely to change. We find three people unlikely to change. <clears throat> we find in the first one Zacchaeus, a man of great wealth. What else did Jesus say? in his words in the gospel, but that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. So he says it's extremely difficult. From a man's standpoint, it's impossible. This man Zacchaeus, a very wealthy man, and Christ has even himself prophesied, saying, <clears throat> it is virtually impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet we find Zacchaeus, a man whose life changes dramatically and permanently at this point. We find this man who has made his living by extorting money off of others. All of a sudden, he's giving it away. We also find two criminals on crosses, crucified with Christ. And if ever there's a time for looking at oneself and viewing everything from a self-absorbed standpoint, certainly being crucified would be a time for that. Because of the pain and the agony of the the experience prior to the crucifixion and because of the agony crucifixion, because of the necessity to exert one's strength even to, to get a breath. There would be very little time to devote to thinking about someone else crucified there and yet one of the men is cursing Christ falling into the pattern of all of the rest, well most of the rest of the people on the ground who are doing that and the other one his heart has changed and he becomes a defender of Christ and then we see the third example we see this woman who everybody knows by her dress by her reputation, who knows how they knew these things. But it's very clear to all of them that she is uh, a woman who is a sinner sexually and has probably been so for some long time. So much so that everybody's aware of this fact. <clears throat> and yet, she too changes. You put these three individuals together and you have combination Three people, from a human standpoint, we would say, circumstances like these never change, people like these never change. And yet, because they had an interaction with Christ, because of Christ's power, their lives were changed dramatically and permanently. They were confronted, as we see in this passage, by God's holiness. They were confronted by the lifestyle of Christ. We read in Matthew 5.16 that Christ tells us this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so these people had seen the actions of Christ. They had seen what he had done. They had seen, doubtless, how he had handled interaction with people like themselves, sinners. Zacchaeus was extremely excited to hear that Jesus was coming. And he was so interested in this. Perhaps he had gotten to the point where He realized in all of his wealth that he was not satisfied, that life was not bringing him any great peace or joy. And there was a a living wonder coming his way. And because of his size, he couldn't get in the crowd and see, so he climbed up a tree. They not only were confronted by God's holiness through the lifestyle of Christ, but they were also confronted by the words of Christ. We see there is an extraordinary grace in the words of Christ. We see it particularly in his relation to Simon the Pharisee in Simon's home. You think of the words that he spoke to Simon. After Simon, in his heart, judged Jesus and said, he's not much of a prophet. He can't even tell that this woman's not a woman you want touching you. And Jesus responded out loud and decimated Simon. I've come into your home and you have showed me no hospitality. And this woman has provided all that I lacked from you from the moment I entered. (laughs) Simon, do you not see that a man who is forgiven much loves much and a man who is forgiven little loves little? As we consider the relationship of these people to Christ, their relations with him, the way in which Christ, <coughs> in his power, through his actions and through his words, demonstrated holiness to them in a life-changing way, you and I must ask ourselves a question. I think there are several questions that come up through these passages. But the first question the most pressing question, the one that remains, is have you and I seen Jesus Christ as merely another man? As a man who existed in the pages of history, but simply a good man and nothing more. <clears throat> or have we come to see him as he himself claims to be? As a son of God, as divine, <clears throat> as existing from eternity, as one who came from the Father, and did not grow in understanding of his divinity, but instead came from the Father, knew his divinity, and went and returned to the Father as well. As we consider the things that are a fact of our everyday existence, the way in which the more we see of the world around us, the more we see that there are few people that change, few situations that change, even as we were talking about in the adult Sunday school class this morning about the situation in the Middle East. Who got there first? Whose land was it? The uh, fighting and the debate about who owned the land is one that's going on today, thousands and thousands of years later. (coughs) And yet we see these people interacting with Christ. And as a result of that, their their lives changed in what, even if we do not believe Christ is God, and therefore has divine power to change human lives, as we see these events, these accounts before us, we cannot but say that the change of these three people was a miraculous change. It was extraordinary. It was not ordinary in any way, shape, or form. So as we see these things, we must ask ourselves, who do we see Christ as, and how do we accept him? These individuals, Zacchaeus and this woman, and the thief on the cross. Two of the three without name, interestingly enough. We see them not only confronted by God's holiness, but we see them taking a path towards transformation, which involves first realizing personal failure and accepting personal responsibility and blame. This is something that is not at all popular today, perhaps of any generation we do not like personal responsibility. We do not like blame. This is a common occurrence throughout man's history. But today, you see it on the television shows. Um, <clears throat> I was watching the news last night with Gus and Faye, who were gracious enough to put up with me while our house is in the hands of others. And <clears throat> during the news, they had ads for all the, I don't know what, talk shows. And um, we were just commenting about the fact that these people come out of the woodworks to appear on these talk shows as though what they are and what they do is in any way honorable. And uh, Faye commented that uh, years ago, people would never have wanted someone to know that they did these things. And nowadays, it's not just know that they did these do these things, but let's broadcast it, let's advertise it, let's every, everybody know. Because presumably they've come to the conclusion that there's nothing embarrassing about it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing the matter with me in that I am involved in these things and accept these things. (coughs) Observers of our society constantly pointing out that there is a general unwillingness among people in our society to admit blame. (coughs) Sandy was talking to a friend the other day who... uh, they were out shopping for a lawnmower. You say to yourself, what does that have to do with personal blame? Well, while they were out shopping for the lawnmower and they met Sandy, they said, oh, we wish we had not thrown away our old lawnmower. Why is that? Well, it stopped working and we decided not to take it in to get it fixed. But now you know you can't get a lawnmower that is light. You can't get a lawnmower that you don't have to hold on to the Dummy handle, and, you know, I lawnmower at home. My next-door neighbor has a lawnmower that he bought last year, a very fancy one. And he's had it in the shop. He was telling me the other day, he's had it in the shop two months now. It's a year and three months old, and he's had it in two months. And he had it in in January to make sure it would work when he mowed his lawn. And he started his lawnmower this spring and ran it for ten minutes. And then it was gone. I said, go ahead and use mine. 1984. (laughs) But there's no dummy handle on it. And you pull a string from down here. Um, How do we get there? Well, rumor has it that we got there because some people took their lawnmowers down to their basement. And they couldn't get it started. So they started in their basement and they decided to keep it running while they took it outside. And there's various stories. There's a story about a fellow who was trimming his head with his lawnmower and the fellow who had to open the door to the basement on his way out with the running lawnmower and set it on his legs. Just, they're terrible stories. And so that's why we have these handles today. Why? Because the people who did these things then sued the lawnmower manufacturers. And if we don't see ample evidence all around us of the fact that few people in our world today are willing to admit personal failure, personal responsibility, all of these safety features on all the things we have, some of them are very good, but some of them make life much more difficult, uh, they're a testimony to the fact that ours is a culture that does not want to say, I'm responsible, but instead wants to say, you're responsible you got deep pockets. I'm going to make you pay for it. And that's what happens. (coughs) People want to blame (coughs) things around them and people around them for what has gone wrong. And that's only if they're willing to go so far as to admit that there has been any failure. Many of the guiltiest people in our society aren't even willing to admit that they have failed. Instead, they cover everything over with words and deception when people are confronted with God's holiness, whether through a vivid glimpse of Christ in Scripture or through witnessing the life of one of his disciples today or, as we see in our passage today, through coming face-to-face with Jesus himself, there is frequently a moment of truth. For those whose lives have changed, there is a moment of truth. Those who see their personal sin in comparison with God's holiness realize that, Personal failure because there is a dramatic difference which cannot be ignored. <clears throat> In order for there to be movement rather than stagnation, because that is what happens when people <clears throat> just recognize their sins, there has to be acceptance and personal responsibility. It is my fault. I am to blame. This is the first real step towards Repentance towards christ movement towards change in luke 23 40 we uh, read again the other criminal rebuked him don't you fear god he said since you were under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong <clears throat> this seems to be the point at which the other thief on the cross refused to follow They were there on the cross. Certainly both of the thieves would have been willing for Christ to get down off the cross and to release them from this execution as well. One of the criminals hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. All he wished to do in the midst of this terrible experience leading to death was to heap scorn on Christ, ridicule his fellow prisoner who believed Christ was innocent rather than to accept his own personal guilt. And to acknowledge his need for change for change. This is what is commonly called the blame game. <clears throat> which this man liked to think that the reason that he was on that cross remaining there was because Christ refused to get him down. <clears throat> we move beyond <clears throat> the point at which they were confronted with the holiness of God and began to accept and realize personal responsibility and blame. And how can you see anything but realizing personal responsibility and blame in this woman's weeping over Christ and wiping his feet with her hair and sacrificing so generously for him in the perfume that she poured over his feet? Weeping. What was she weeping for? Weeping or a realization, a confrontation of the holiness of God with what her life was. We move beyond that to believing in the possibility of change. Many people are willing to accept personal responsibility, and yet they're unwilling or unable to believe that there is hope for change and movement in an entirely new direction. That is what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying, I have failed, I have sinned. But it is saying Not only that, but I turn away from it. Many people who do not turn away, even though they accept personal responsibility and blame, say, I've done too much wrong. God could not possibly forgive me for what I've done wrong. There is no way that I can change. Those who will move towards Christ must believe that there is hope that they can become different people through Christ, that there can be forgiveness of their sins, that they can change, moving away from sin and evil towards good and righteousness. In Luke twenty three forty two. the other prisoner on the cross said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why? Because there is a glimmer of hope that is dawning in his soul otherwise there would be no purpose for Christ remembering him when he came into his kingdom And not only believing in the possibility of change but turning from sin towards Christ and doing as Christ desires this requires seeing things as God sees them the only way that this can happen is to have the clear sighted vision to know what God wants and where he will have you to go If you have no idea what God thinks and you cannot see your life in the world from his view, then you cannot possibly move in the right direction. You must see that he has a direction for you to move in. This requires stopping evil. Of course, this by itself is not enough. We know from Christ's words in the Gospels, the example of the the parable that he teaches of the person cleaning the house and not filling it with anything good and Demons coming back to fill that house with even worse living and worse sin and worse ungodliness than there was before. Stopping evil is a necessity. But then beyond that, must come replacing it with what God wants, replacing it with good and righteousness. This is the strongest proof of the reality of change in our lives. We see many people who stop doing bad things But we know that to be a Christian, God says that fruit must be evident. And certainly stopping bad things is part of the fruit. Doing righteousness is part of the evidence that we truly are children of God. Look at Zacchaeus. What did he do? What evidence was there for people? What evidence was there that Christ brought forth in him? Luke 19.8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord. Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this is an indication that from this point on he intends not to do wrong. Because if, you have, if you're on record publicly saying, I will pay back anything I have stolen four times the amount, then you're going to go broke very quickly <clears throat> if you are continuing to steal. But you see this open-handed generosity in this man. Man who has been tight fisted all his life, and as a tax collector, that was the way you lived in a tight fisted way. <clears throat> and yet, here he is saying, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and anybody I have wronged, I will pay back four times. God is the one who brings this change in human lives. And we as human beings like to keep on to what we have, we like to hold on to it, we do not like to give it out generously. And somehow, the wellsprings of generosity tend to close up in us. I think uh, oftentimes as I observe my children or other children, it's often children who are the ones who show us what generosity is all about. As we get older, we hold tighter. Zacchaeus, all of a sudden, in his confrontation with the holiness of God, his life was changed in a complete way. Look at the violent criminal who was unable to do anything there on the cross but one to defend innocence against attack and violence. And while he was unable to do anything else, this he did. Defending the innocent Lamb of God from the attack of his fellow criminal on the third cross. Rebuking his fellow criminal. Don't you fear God since you were under the same sentence. We are punished justly we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A powerful example. One, giving out of money, generously helping those in need, and promising to right any wrongs. The other saying, Yes, I am guilty of the things that have put me on this cross, but this man is not. You leave him alone. He is innocent. The woman who had lived a sinful life described in Luke 7, she wept at the feet of Jesus. Because of her love and devotion to him, she wiped his feet with her hair and poured perfume, most expensive perfume, over his feet. good she demonstrated was her selfless expression of love to him. Christ even says of her, she has loved much. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, I find it interesting that in this passage, <clears throat> in which we have a broad spectrum of the truth, which we have evidence of Christ changing the lives of people, I have pulled together here three Criminals, criminals, three sinners. We see the white-collar criminal in Zacchaeus. We see in the criminal on the cross the violent criminal, and we see the sexual sinner, the woman as she wiped Jesus' feet. We see Christ doing what our prisons cannot do, doing what our criminal justice system has thrown up its hands in despair and said, it is hopeless. Prisons go up a new one every day. Matter of fact, in the newspaper yesterday or Friday, we had a great picture of uh, the governor of Virginia, Governor Gilmore, uh, helping to open a new prison in southwest Virginia. Going up at an ex- a rapidly expanding rate because we are unable to change criminals. Recidivism rate continues unchanged. And yet we see Christ changing these people's lives. And so Christ gave promise of forgiveness, certainty of forgiveness, and the promise of eternal life to all three. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus answered the repentant criminal, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These are beautiful pictures. Yet even as we see these beautiful pictures and have hope, that through looking to Christ and accepting our own responsibility and blame as sinners, that we can find, as they found, forgiveness and eternal life come to the same question which Christ pointed out to Simon which is this he who has been forgiven little loves little he who has been forgiven much loves much I was hearing on the way back here from Knoxville yesterday on the radio a man talking about forgiveness and necessity a Christian counselor how he works with people and seeking to help them to to forgive others and I realized one thing that I've known all of my life And it's that having grown up in a Christian home and having uh, not had many of the wayward situations that many people have experienced, that oftentimes I worry for myself because I say this passage, he who has been forgiven little loves little, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Now, it's not that I have been forgiven little. It's not that my sins have been little. But oftentimes it's easy when you have not gone far astray to say, I haven't sinned much. I've lived a good life. I've not gone far astray. And therefore, by virtue of justifying myself in my own eyes, to miss the grace of God, which causes forgiveness of sins, to be a gift that I never could earn, no matter how good I lived. This, in the midst of the glorious promise of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, is something that you and I must constantly deal with. The sins, any sin, keeps us from the side of Christ and from heaven. And so the forgiveness of Christ, whether it's small sin, small sins, or great sins, is alike miraculous and glorious. And what we need to grow in is an understanding of the terrible nature of sin and the rebelliousness that exists with any sin against God so that we can flee to Him, seeing ourselves, as Paul described himself, as the greatest of sinners, and not see ourselves as little sinners only needing little forgiveness. Let us pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would have your way with our hearts. <clears throat> we pray that you would cause us with great sorrow at our sins and great rejoicing in the hope that is to be found in you and forgiveness that is found in you, to respond to you in the same way that Zacchaeus and the, one of the criminals on the cross and the woman who wiped your feet responded to you, that we would give our hearts and our souls to you we would give our possessions to you in such a way that we are not considering how you will use them, but instead considering that because of your forgiveness of us, <clears throat> that we owe all that we are and all that we have to you. Pray that you would keep us from allowing anything to hold us back, but instead trusting you with all of our hearts and souls, strength, and mind so that we might offer ourselves generously to the Lord of the universe, that you might use us in a glorious way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.